So this has been a hard intro to write because we're dealing with a very sensitive topic. Sexual harassment, Me Too, and the ever-growing rift in the atheist scene. Something that has become even more enhanced in the post-Trump era. In this episode, I have a panel of guests on to discuss the allegations against prominent atheist Lawrence Krauss as well as how these allegations generally have been received in the atheist movement. Now, this was recorded several days ago, and some things may have changed or been updated since, so keep that in mind. And let me warn those with sensitivities against criticism of prominent atheists or movement atheism that this panel contains a lot of criticism. Consider that a trigger warning for delicate, skeptocentrist sensibilities. The closest thing to atheist blasphemy you can get is criticizing Sam Harris, and there is certainly a lot of that in the upcoming audio, so please be prepared. As it stands, when I'm recording this intro, the responses from the movement in general, apart from a couple of good, solid statements, have ranged from unsatisfactory fence-sitting to downright depressing denials. And the response from Sam and Matt at their event in Phoenix that was scheduled with Krauss was also deeply unsatisfactory to me. It seemed to be, in my assessment, a case of vaguely saying the right things while also downplaying the issue at hand and making that an opportunity to also criticize the quote-unquote excesses of the Me Too movement. This is something I've seen when it comes to discussing the overlap with the far and alt-right, alt-light in the atheist scene too. Everyone can vaguely, easily say allying with the far right is wrong, but when it comes down to taking action or introspection or self-reflection or calling out bad actors in the in-group, people are either looking away or, in fact, hostile to those trying to call such things out. And the same goes for calling out sexual misconduct or harassment in the movement. When it has been brought up at other times, it has been swept under the rug, and in fact, the women speaking up about it have received threats, online abuse, no support from major figures, in fact, quite the opposite, to the point of having to leave the movement and step away altogether. But there's this whole Me Too climate right now, where it's harder to let these things slide, and thank goodness for that. It's all about cleaning up your own side when criticizing leftists. But the cleaning up your own side enthusiasm seems to fade away when it involves looking inward at the atheist community. You know, I came into the scene after the whole Rebecca Watson elevator gate thing, so I hadn't seen the video. But from what I'd heard around, I thought it was going to be some hysterical thing about how guys shouldn't be in elevators with women and that's assault or something ridiculous. But I just recently watched it, and it was this incredibly mild statement where she was saying that she felt uncomfortable when someone followed her into the elevator at 4 a.m. in a hotel in a foreign country while she was alone and asked her up to his hotel room. What woman wouldn't be creeped out by that? And this was right after she had been on a panel talking about how uncomfortable for her it was when men sexualized her in that way. And she politely said... Can people maybe not do that? There wasn't even an angry tone, no screeching or raised voice, no accusation of rape, no naming or shaming. I was really taken aback at how mild this video was. 
and how it really did not match up with the impression I got from the atheist scene all these years. And I kind of wish I had looked it up before. But anyway, back to the Krauss thing. As I'm recording this, Sam has released an AMA that he's further addressed Krauss on. And I can totally understand having a paywall for content, but I don't understand why you wouldn't make an important statement like this available to the public as soon as possible. So right now, I don't really know what his response to that was like, or if it was better than the one at the event he had with Matt Delahunty, and I can only hope that it's clear and does not use the opportunity to also express concerns about how Me Too has gone too far and how supposedly people aren't differentiating between creepy behavior and full-on rape. I don't think he gets how condescending that sounds, because from what I've seen, most reasonable people are differentiating. They just want to talk about the whole range of inappropriate behavior. It's just minimizing to address a series of accusations, but also simultaneously criticize the movement causing these accusations to surface. Anyway, I haven't yet heard his AMA. It could be a great response. But from the mostly critical Me Too takes I've seen Sam post and retweet, I am not expecting anything too different to what he's already said. Till today, Matt Dillahunty has not issued another clearer statement on the situation either. The last thing I see on his Facebook posted March 5th is that he will be addressing Krauss issues at NanoCon. And neither has Richard Dawkins himself. His foundation tweeted out a statement by CFI that came many days later, but that was it. I don't think I've seen anything from Jerry Coyne or Shermer. I wonder why. American Humanist Association has just today come out with a very strong and clear statement, even going so far as to acknowledge, and I quote, there was a time when non-theist organizations wouldn't appropriately address unethical conduct of their leaders. I mean, we're still a bit in that time, but this is definitely an improvement, and I will take any acknowledgement of this. American Atheists also said we find the allegations both disturbing and credible, We have no relationship with Dr. Krauss, and that will continue to be the case. Two major organizations there, which is great. In terms of individuals, Saibabe and Hamant Mehta are the prominent people that come to mind who haven't waffled on this, so there are a few. Arizona State University has put Krauss on paid leave while they investigate, and Krauss has released a nine-page PDF containing what I considered a very weak response that did not really convincingly refute much. He starts off complaining, On February 22nd, reporters from BuzzFeed published a libelous story defaming me specifically and by association, the skeptical and atheist community in general. I mean, come on. This was the community where the behavior was left unchecked, allowed to continue, and has been known for similar things in the past, even... AHA acknowledged this was a problem. Are they too trying to defame the atheist community? Atheists would have no trouble pointing the finger at any religious community if they hid or downplayed sexual harassment by one of their own. Krauss ends his PDF with a weak non-pology. Has my language or demeanor sometimes made others feel uncomfortable? Clearly, yes, and for that I sincerely apologize. I am sorry to those who felt betrayed by what they read in the BuzzFeed article. But I also urge you to think critically about the content of the article, the context in which it was written, the manner in which it was written, the evidence that was not presented, and the agenda that appeared to drive those who wrote it. It just seems conspiratorial, really. 
what agenda could they have to try and destroy the reputation of the skeptic scene? Why do you think so many people have been linking it with some bad things? Could there maybe, do you think, be a bit of a problem with bigotry and sexism? Or are all these people constantly conspiring to destroy the reputation of movement atheism? I can just flip over to my Twitter at any given moment and see multiple tweets on my timeline from atheists in denial. There is one responding to my tweet right now saying that this was a conspiracy by women who were demanding more prominence in the scene and weren't given it, and so have decided to take the atheist scene down. It's pretty crazy out there. Not what you'd expect from a group of people who are so quick to point out how wrong religious folk are, to protect the predators among them, to make tribal excuses, and so on. From a group of people who say they value evidence and adjust their opinion accordingly. And as soon as the focus is turned on them, it seems atheists act no less tribal or blinded by ideology than a bunch of theists would. And if you want a clear, very depressing picture of the state of this movement, look at the tweets below Krauss's very unconvincing response. It's just one after another. We got your back, Krauss. Oh, thank you so much for this. Thanks for all the science! You are so great. I mean, these people were quick to say BuzzFeed should not be believed as a source, even when they had, like, what, 50 people they corroborated with. They are happy to buy it from the accused's own PDF. That, he didn't do it. What a shocker of a response, eh? What did you think he'd say? Where are all your demands of evidence and proof now? The state of it all. I have seen so many good atheists in the past two years just remove atheist or skeptic from their social media handles or remove it from their bios or just step out of the scene altogether because they've had enough of it. What it's turning into is a crypto right-wing movement that insists it is liberal. And a lot of us just didn't sign up for that. More and more are leaving out of embarrassment. I can't tell you how many people write to me and say that they cringe at the term atheist, not because it means a lack of belief in God, which is all fine and good, but because of the types of representatives we have out there are joining hands with, signal boosting, or elevating PragerU, Ben Shapiro, who's appeared on a Nazi podcast, Red Ice TV, Jordan Peterson, who's appeared on violence-advocating neo-Nazi Tara McCarthy's podcast for a friendly left-bashing chat, Christina Summers, who's just now being called out for accidentally also appearing on a Nazi podcast, oops, Stefan Molyneux, well, that's another rant in itself. Our prominent names are writing glowing reviews for Milo's book, expressing sympathy for Milo's poor career after the pedophilia scandal, which was too much even for open right-wingers. Even they had to write him off. People like Jerry Coyne and Michael Shermer have expressed doubts whether convicted serial child rapist Jerry Sandusky is actually guilty or not. An atheist skeptic convention invited a person who tweeted, I wouldn't even rape you, at a victim of sexual assault. And the crowd erupted with cheers and applause at this edgy quote. Imagine the environment that this creates for someone who's been sexually harassed or raped even. Imagine how welcome they feel in the scene when they get fence-sitting positions like, hold on, let's not rush to judgment here, or lukewarm condemnations of crowds, but also of me too. 
So many want to walk away from this movement. I hear from them all the time. They don't want to be associated with the idea that they might be some right-wing, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, anti-feminist, bell curve fan. People on the left don't want to be seen as that. And it's sad because I do think that atheism, as in disbelief, needs to be destigmatized. But with the loudest among us overlapping so frequently with Pepe's and our leaders with large platforms not acknowledging this problem, in fact, often furthering it, the movement becomes more and more splintered. The lack of critical thinking, too, has just been such a disappointment. How many bought into this ridiculous penis hoax that was published in a pay-to-play journal? Embarrassingly, it achieved not at all what it set out to. Even SoCal himself had to step in and say that it proved somewhat less than the authors have claimed for it. Don't take my word for it or SoCal's. Check out the Very Bad Wizards episodes on the penis hoax. I'll link them in the notes. They broke it down beautifully. And just today, I'm seeing a number of members of the Skeptosphere freak out about a parody Antifa account. Another example of the level of skepticism is how many people buy into the so-called Imam of Peace. How unskeptical and blinded do you have to be to believe the anti-Muslim Imam who talks about how violent his own religion's scriptures are? is legit. He recently also appeared on a white nationalist podcast, an oddly recurring theme around these parts, and has lamented to Tommy Robinson on air about losing respect for London as a city because Sadiq Khan, the mayor, is not a white man and is instead of Pakistani descent. But more specifically to the content of the upcoming panel, people are fed up and it's time to be open about it. It's funny because there's so much discussion in the scene about how people feel they have to censor their politically incorrect views for intolerant leftists, but there's almost no one talking about how many atheists have to self-censor criticism of atheist leaders because they don't want to get piled on. I once posted an article saying that the atheist movement had a problem with sexism and I received a tweet in all caps saying, APOLOGIZE OR BE BLOCKED! from not a Twitter rando, but in fact a guy I'd known online for years. Shortly after that, as you can guess, I was blocked. And all his talk about tolerating deferring opinions, he couldn't handle a deferring opinion on this. And you see defensiveness come up in all the leaders, including Krauss, who get upset if anyone is critical of the movement. They immediately think it's a smear or a misrepresentation. Granted, there have been some bad actors who say absurd, out-of-context stuff like C.J. Whirlman and Greenwald, but that doesn't mean that all criticism is unfair. I still receive hate mail on the regular for daring to have Sam on my show a year ago and not agreeing on everything with him. And this was a very friendly conversation. There was no hostility. I don't think Sam himself minded. But there are some fans that are just scarily intolerant. There's this certain type of blind faith Harris fan that has only been matched recently by a similar variety of Peterson fan, one that cannot tolerate any disagreement or criticism. So putting this episode out there is definitely a bit concerning for me. I certainly am critical of Sam's response on stage in Phoenix in this episode and some of my panelists even more so. I think it's important to hear how frustrated people are. Two of my panelists are women who have lived through some traumatic experiences. For them, this is much more raw and personal, I imagine. After the MythCon Sargon thing, my panelist, Chrissiosity, wrote a blog post titled 
an open letter to atheist podcasters and conference speakers from a rape survivor and YouTube feminist. We need to talk. I'll link it in the show notes. Godless Mama, a survivor of domestic abuse, has started a new podcast called Godless Mama Speaks, and her second episode was a powerful, raw sort of rant titled I've Had Enough about how fed up she is of the seeming indifference towards mistreatment of women in the skeptic community. Podcaster Thomas Smith is another panelist who had a firsthand pretty alarming experience at MythCon last year when the audience cheered atheist YouTuber Sargon of Akkad's tweet, I wouldn't even rape you. He's covered the Krauss thing pretty extensively in two episodes, so you should definitely go check those out at Serious Inquiries Only. And now that my rant is almost finished, I should mention that I corresponded with Sam Harris a bit before this panel. I wanted to let him know that I'd be recording a panel where criticism of him would definitely come up. And if you wanted to send me anything to add about his position on Kraus so that I could be as fair in representing his position as possible. He sent some points along, which you'll hear soon, but he also mentioned Phil Torres by name. Now, I don't know if he's privy to some information that I am not, but I know Phil on Twitter and I've never seen him be anything other than respectful, even towards people he really disagrees with. He has, of course, written some articles highly critical of the atheist scene and the leaders in it, but I don't think that that means he wants to defame prominent atheists. It might mean that he has different politics, a different interpretation, but I certainly don't think his goal is to defame. In fact, I believe he's previously been a fan of all the people he writes critically about. Anyway, I'm preparing to get a lot of hate for this panel because, well, criticism is not taken well in the skeptosphere. Topics of sexual harassment aren't dealt with too well either. But if you're not furious by the end of this, then I would ask that you support this episode vocally because it's important for that to be visible. And if you would like to see this podcast continue, then please, please consider supporting via Patreon because without listeners like you, it is not possible. Now, without further ado... Here's part one of the episode. Hi guys, sorry, sorry, that's not true. I just wanted to squeeze back in here before the episode and add an update to that intro that you were listening to. This story is always changing, so I'm trying to represent it fairly as it unfolds. Anyhow, I recorded the intro you just heard on March 9th, but now as I'm recording, it's March 10th. And I saw that Jerry Coyne finally put out a statement saying that he'll be disassociating himself from Krauss. That took a while, but hey, I'm glad he said it. There's a couple of strange comments in there about not liking trial by social media, except he posted about his position on this on social media. I mean, he disabled the comments on his blog post, but he posted it on Twitter, and people can comment on Twitter. So, I don't know. Strange. Anyway... Also, it looks like someone put Sam's AMA statement about Kraus on YouTube. So I've heard it now. And oh boy. I mean, I, I think it actually makes things worse. It's not a great statement, but I've taken enough of your time to add this update. So I'm not going to break that down here. Just wanted to say I did not find it to be helpful or good at all. I had hoped it would be, but wasn't really expecting it to be, and here we are. Now, for real, here's part one of the episode. Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects, and uh, you're not 
impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to panel 13. This is going to be an intense one. We'll be discussing the allegations against Lawrence Krauss and the atheist responses in the scene to these allegations. I have a wonderful panel of guests. I'll let them introduce themselves. I've got Godless Mama here. Hi. Hello. You can also call me Tracy. Hi, Tracy. I am... Godless Mama on Facebook, and um, I have a blog at godlessmama.com. Just launched my own podcast, Godless Mama Speaks, and big fan of polite conversations. So, this is a, a big honor and quite exciting. Yay! Thank you. And I'm welcome. I've got uh, Chrissyosity over from the YouTube world. Hi, Chrissyosity. Yep. Hi. So, yeah, I have a channel on YouTube, which is just Chrissyosity, and I also have a blog, but uh, right now it's it's so st- sort of starting up. Um, and I'm also a big fan, so I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. And we've got a, a token dude. What's up, Yay. Thomas? <laughs> yeah, I represent all white dudes. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I should have said token white dude. I don't think I do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I've been on the show. Uh, but if you're not familiar, I have the podcast series Inquiries Only. Recently spoke with Tracy on that show and uh, big fan of everybody all around. So it's a big fan fandom. Yay. All right. So we've been seeing some interesting responses in the skeptic movement to these allegations. I think it was was it February 23rd when BuzzFeed wrote a piece about Lawrence Krauss with multiple uh, allegations of varying degrees, ranging from groping to pushing someone on a bed and trying to pull her pants down while trying to get a condom? Just some pretty, pretty gross stuff. And they also said in the article that, you know, there was some concern about whether the skeptics would take this evidence as credible and do something about it or not. (laughs) And I mean, we all kind of felt that way because such stories have come and gone and nothing has been said or done. And there's been a lot of anti me too sentiment going around in the skeptosphere. At least I feel. So I haven't been thrilled. And even with Lawrence Krauss, before this all came out, I remember he tweeted something calling the women who spoke out against me too very brave. And he tweeted a link to an article which contained, you know, things saying that the woman that he's calling brave also defended Roman Polanski. So it was pretty appalling. That's brave. Yeah, very brave, right? (laughs) And then Thomas, you did a good episode on this. You talked about it in some detail. Godless Mama, you did a good episode where you just said basically that you've had enough. And I kind of um, feel that way as well. So, you know, tell me some of your thoughts about what's been happening lately. Well, I think the fact that Me Too is going on 
is part of the only reason we're really hearing much of anything from anybody, mm-hmm. to be honest. I think there's just a little bit too much of a spotlight on these kinds of things now. If this had been a year ago, I think we probably would have heard less from fewer of them, quite honestly. And I think the fact that the BuzzFeed article pointed out there is some problem with, you know, sexism within the atheist community. And are they really going to apply the same critical thinking to these allegations that they would apply to other allegations? And what I've seen is a lot of high profile folks in the movement really grasping onto that as a way to deflect from having to talk about the allegations against Kraus or the larger issues within the community overall. So I'm seeing a lot of, you know, yeah, yeah, Lawrence Krauss, but why were they so mean to us? Right. And I think it is it is part of a larger problem in the atheist movement. And they have to sort of, you know, when you get up to the big kids table, which, you know, you would hope our, our movement would be doing or this movement would be doing, then you have to start looking at how things play. Just as the people from the Women's March can't expect to go hang out with Louis Farrakhan rallies on their weekends off Mm -hmm. and no one noticed that, you can't expect to continuously put forward certain messages about Me Too, about sexual harassment. You can't expect to keep sort of doing these things and doing these things and doing these things and not have anybody turn a critical eye and start to really look and say, why are you, why is this such a consistent problem? And it it is, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know who anybody's kidding that this is not a thing that's been a problem in the new atheist movement for as long as I've known about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just starting to see this stuff properly only over the last two years, to be honest. Otherwise, I think I was very much on the other side. And I'm glad to have sort of had that bubble popped so that I can see. Otherwise, I was, you know, very much on the side of, oh, you know, these are all misrepresentations of these great figures. And why is the left doing that? But I think after Trump was elected, a lot a lot of stuff shifted and it was very obvious that people's focuses weren't shifting accordingly and it, I I guess it was just easier to spot in the Trumpian era that the priorities would still be the evil left, the SJWs. And I think that helped a lot of people see through. Mm. What do you think, Thomas? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting that it was even framed that way. There's a lot of revisionist history going on, too. I had a certain asshole on Twitter tweeting at me that, like, this is all a, a feminist conspiracy. Like, look at all the accusers. They're they're uh, intersectional feminists. What are the odds? And I just thought it was funny. And my response was like, yeah, who would have thought that bears only attack people who later go on to talk about bear attacks? That's a weird... <laughs> how do they know? But, uh, but no, and, and not only that... What's interesting is if you've been around for a while, I haven't been around for that long, but I've been paying attention for at least four or five, mm-hmm. six, no, no, probably probably more like seven or eight years by yeah. now. Um, Krauss paid lip service to feminism. Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah. And and of course, I don't, obviously he wasn't a, a true feminist and, and you know, what he was doing behind the scenes and the kinds of things he was saying were, were awful. But for all intents and purposes, publicly, 
There's no reason why there would have been a feminist cabal that's saying in 2012, we need to take out this, this uh, universe from nothing guy. We got to take him out. He's a, he's, a, he's a threat to feminism. No one would have thought that. They would have thought maybe for Dawkins, like that was my point. If, there, if this was going to be a fabrication, if this was going to be a conspiracy, why on earth did they not just take out Richard Dawkins right after Elevator Gate? That would have made more sense. Or could it be that this is actually based on facts and experiences that people actually had and that the reason no one has fabricated or, or even leveled charges at Richard Dawkins, despite the fact that feminists can't stand him, is that they don't, they don't just make false accusations willy-nilly. Which, which, which better explains the data? Well, there was also like 50 corroborations or something in the article, right? Or they talked about having at least 50 corroborations. They said they spoke to 50 people for the article, and there were 13 accusations. And, you know, for me, one of the biggest things that, I don't want to use the word proves, but makes it extremely unlikely that any of this is fabricated is that these were contemporaneously reported and documented incidents going yes. back years and years and years. You know, um, Melody Hensley, is that her name? Yeah. You know, she didn't just come forward yesterday to say yeah. this happened 10 years ago and then 12 other women came forward and said, oh, yeah, 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 that happened to me, too. All of these women reported it when it happened at the time. They either filed complaints or they told friends, they told other people who corroborated, yes, I saw that, or yes, she told me that when it happened. So, you know, BuzzFeed wasn't reporting new allegations. They just cataloged old allegations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I've I've seen a lot of people say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's such a shame that people would condemn these universities, would, you know, throw him out, you know, and ban him with no evidence. Well, why are you assuming that these universities found no evidence that they heard one single allegation and said, oh, well, we better kick this, you know, tenured professor off our campus and never <laughs> invite him back again? It doesn't work that way. You know, universities have HR departments, too. There's no way that they would have conducted an investigation that found nothing and still kicked him out. And he's a litigious guy, you yeah. know, or at least yeah. he's the kind of guy who's who is willing to say he will be he'll get litigious with you. You know, I mean, it's just it's a constant game with people of just shift, 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 shift everything. First, they'll say there's no evidence. And then you'll say, well, Testimonial evidence is evidence. Documentary evidence is evidence. These are all forms of evidence. They're admissible in court. And then it becomes, well, they're all feminists. And then if you say, well, what a, you respond to that, then it's, well, we don't even know if these things happen. Well, Lord Krause specifically knows what the incidents that people are talking about. You know, he's responding to them. He's like, oh, no, that wasn't the way it happened. So he knows, you know, so, and then it, it just keeps shifting around and around and around and around. It's almost like religious apologists, right? <laughs> oh, it's so totally the same thing as religious apologism. Well, it's, it's just no different. It's no different at all. This is what really gets me is that in the atheist scene, there are so many people who talk about humanism and how religion mistreats women and stuff like that. But when it comes to supporting feminists that are within the movement or even just in the West, 
it doesn't seem like they're standing to those principles. It's just convenient to point the finger outside and blame religion. But when you have to look inwards, automatically you see people trying to undermine feminism. And not just feminism, but I mean, let's be honest. When you say that the problem with sexual harassment is a witch hunt or a moral panic, you're strongly implying that it's not real because witch hunts were, you know, against witches, which in the conception that they meant it in didn't exist. There weren't these, there weren't satanic demonic women, you know, having sex with magical beings, you know. When you say moral panic, a moral panic is about something that's kind of real, but not really a big deal. And people are making a wild big deal out of it. Yeah. And and so both of and both of these have specifically anti-women tones to them. Right. But, you know, one is kind of moral panic, like, oh, the hysterical women again. Or and, you know, witch hunts, of course, were an attack on women. There's like all these sort of attitudes that are just embedded in the very conversation that you you can't even bring up with them. Well, even from my personal experience as someone who's grown up in Saudi Arabia, I see that deflection a lot that, you know, women over here have nothing to worry about. And what about women and women from Saudi Arabia? And then, you know, you have someone like me or the Saudi feminists actually in Saudi Arabia that I've had on my show saying, well, that's a real bullshit tactic. Don't pit women against each other. And you're not really helping anyone by minimizing the struggles of women in the West. Women in Saudi often say that when women in the West are empowered and are, you know, getting more rights, that inspires them too. Yeah. And um, another thing that's frustrating, and this is definitely not original to me, but the, the, the same people are like, well, look at those Muslim barbarians where uh, 12 women are equivalent to one man in testimony or whatever. And then you point to an article. <laughs> yes, where no, it's not 12, 12 but yeah. <laughs> or whatever it is. What is 13? What's the number? Two. 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 I thought it was higher. Oh, okay. No, it's two. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, well, even better then. So, so many times over, the uh, the Lawrence Krauss thing would be proven by that logic. Like, if you think if you think that's such a barbaric anti-feminist rule, well, notice that it's exactly what you're doing when you think all of these different women from different time periods who don't know each other, by the way, and who had different contemporaneous accounts corroborating them. When you're taking Krauss's word, or you're just by the way, saying, well, we can't conclude, we can't make a decision, we just can't, we, you're, you're putting it off to some other authority that doesn't exist. When you're doing that, you're, you're, you're doing that very thing. You're discounting the voices of women. Exactly. Never in a million years have I heard when a very prominent religious figure gets caught with his pants down or has something happen that is reported. Never have I heard, look, it, there's no trial, there's no court. You can't say anything, you know, like that's just nonsense. Yeah. What atheist would accept that from a religious community? Well, you know, don't, you know, we can't disassociate from him because he hasn't been proven guilty in court yet. Like everyone would recognize that for the apologetics that it is. But yet over here, if you look at any of the major atheist posts on this, the comments down below, half of them are saying that and it's so depressing to see well, and it's also, it's, it's so, you know, a lot of them are saying, well, I, I don't have enough information, ergo, I'm going to withhold judgment until 
I get more information. Well, what that means is I'm giving Lawrence Krauss a free pass until I see like photographic evidence. You know, it's like when they say they're not going to make a decision, they're making a decision. Deliberately choosing to not critically assess the evidence before them as a means to give the benefit of the doubt to the accused. So they are making, they are taking a side. They are making a decision. Absolutely. That's a lot of the tactics I've seen. And what I, what I've taken to do that, I, you know, unfortunately I can't get Sam Harris to notice me unlike, uh, unlike uh, some of us on this call. But no, uh, when I, what I've taken to do here is when people keep saying, well, he just said he needs time, you know, or this guy needs time or we need time. I keep, I keep asking, okay, tell me what you're doing with that time. Like, give me the tangible steps. Are you calling these people? Are you, are you emailing? Are you contacting accusers? What are you doing? Like, do you actually, I I will give you time. If you lay out, like, here's what I want to do. I want to make a few, you know, I want to actually hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the steps? Some general, like, well, let's be, you know, take our time, be reasonable. It's like, well, no, if, if it's just for thinking purposes, it does not take very long to read that article, take notice of how broad, how many people, how many accounts there are, all the different entities that would have to be lined, the universities that would have had to like, just for some reason respond and say, yes, we've had sexual harassment complaints against this guy. Like (laughs) all the different things that would have to go into it. You don't, there's no time you need short of if you wanted to like backtrack and talk to everyone yourself, but they, they they never actually want to do that. They want to just say like, well, let's slow down. And I think most of it is a tactic to see which way the wind blows and see if like Maybe this they uh, people forget, you know, like with the something will come up in the news cycle, and then we'll kind of move on, and then it, then maybe they they will have filibustered their way out of having to actually make a statement. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was happening before Krauss's accusations too, right? A lot of the big name skeptics, the only Me Too related posts that were being posted were sort of, oh, let's slow down. Oh, oh, it's turning into a witch hunt. Oh. And so that is really off-putting for me as someone who's joined this community, left religion, and and seen them talk the big talk about, oh, religion should really treat women better. But I'm not seeing that when the lens is turned back on them. It's just a bunch of deflections. It's just... It's just like a polished version of the same stuff that was left behind in religion. Imagine using those excuses for a Catholic priest or a mullah that was accused that, you know, he hasn't been proven guilty in court yet, or we haven't had enough time yet. It's just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do. I saw uh, not long ago on Twitter, and I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was like a Muslim cleric, I think maybe. And he was tweeting out about how badly women in the West are treated. (laughs) And everything he said, of course, is true. You know, the gun violence against women, the, you know, the, the way that women are often treated in media, this and that and the other thing. There's like nothing that he said that wasn't true. And I, you know, I was like, God, so they're really going to just sit here and and argue about who's worse. (laughs) Well, that's really what's happening. (laughs) I mean, it's obvious that, you know, secular life is better than theocracy life. That's not even an argument that religious theocrats would win, but they, they, but just like, just like the new atheists, they can play the game. Can't they? And if you, you, they just tire you out. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's this one particular atheist who tweets a lot about Saudi women and defending Saudi women. And he's, you know, such a hero that he's standing up for Saudi women. But he told a Western rape victim that at least she wasn't stoned to death or at least she wasn't made to marry her rapist. As if that's some sort of consolation. Like, what the fuck? What kind you of attitude is that? You can be the worst country that you can find, then it's good. Then you're then you're doing this, okay. Yeah, this seems well, crazy. Yeah, it's, it, it's like it's like the bar. The bar is at the you worst. know <laughs> not throwing not throwing gays off of rooftops and technically not rape. That's mm. the bar. Yeah, mm. and you know so. Gay people should not complain about being discriminated against when they're trying to get married. Go find another baker because at least you're and just be grateful you're not being thrown off a rooftop. Mm-hmm. And it's the same it's the same argument. You know, it's well, technically, you know, yeah, Harvey Weinstein was really bad, but technically Lawrence Krauss didn't rape anybody. So, you know, the, the, this is really just a moral panic. It's a it's an extremely low bar. And another thing that really stands out for me and that makes me really angry about the things that a lot of atheists have said and that Sam Harris has said repeatedly is that women don't know the difference between sexual harassment and rape. That we don't understand our own lives. We don't understand our own experiences. And because we use the same hashtag to talk about the, mm. the boss who who extorted sex from me so I could keep my job and the coworker who slapped my ass in the break room every day, just because we use the same hashtag because it's part of the same conversation. Then they say women don't know the difference when yet we do know the difference, but they don't, it's like, if it's not the absolute worst possible violent or oppressive or disgusting act, then they don't want to talk about it. Yeah, and I they think accuse us of conflating different things when none of us is doing that. It's such a huge straw man and it's so intellectually dishonest for one mm. thing for people who call themselves, you know, skeptics and rational thinkers. And it's also so hugely insulting. And again, it's it's less anti-feminist than it is anti-woman. It's a statement about women can't be trusted to tell the truth. You know, let the men step in and explain how sexual harassment really works and let the men step in to define who's a victim and who isn't. And we will assign you a rating based on how much we think you should have been traumatized by what happened to you regardless of how traumatized you actually were or what the ramifications to you actually were. And if we don't think it was severe enough, then we really don't want to hear from you. There's a secondary part to that too. You also get a rating for how well you behaved as a rape victim or as a sexual harassment victim or, you know, and that's, that's, that is a very, very detailed questionnaire there. Yeah. Did you victim right? Yeah, did you? No, I don't think you did. Like, you could have done this, but you didn't. You did this, or it took you longer to process, or like you weren't emotional. What, for properly. example? Uh, like, you didn't come forward right away. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But if you do come forward right away, then people don't believe you. If you don't come forward right away, then people don't believe you. And it it doesn't matter. I mean, the thing is, this came up uh, a lot around the Aziz Ansari time as well. And that really frustrated me because no one, you know, aside from some random idiots on Twitter here and there, I don't think that the case was being made that Aziz Ansari was as bad as Harvey Weinstein. I don't think that that is where people wanted to go with this. At least I I didn't or any of the feminists that I know did not. There is a clear distinction that is being made, but they want to, but people want to be able to discuss the whole spectrum of sexual harassment and sexual coercion. And that's what's happening now. It's not a conflation. Me too has just become a hashtag under which people discuss a whole range of inappropriate right. behavior. Right. Well, and that's, I, I said that in my episode too, because th- that's the big Sam Harris thing is here's the real problem. They, there's a wide range and they're not, you know, delineating or whatever. And it's like, how stupid do you think everybody is? Do you, do we need an article <laughs> that says like full stop new section? We're going to talk about something else. Mind you, this isn't necessarily as bad as the last thing we were talking about. Like, no. And I even read the sentence. Here's a quote from the article. One of many wide-ranging allegations of Krauss's inappropriate behavior over the last decade. And then they summarize. They say, including groping women, ogling, making, making sexist jokes, telling an employee, et cetera, et cetera. So wide-ranging. They, they did say it. Many wide-ranging. And, and there's no, it's not like the BuzzFeed article has a recommendation for the punishment that we all ought to inflict on Krauss. Like, it, it lays it out. We're not stupid, you know? Like, we, we can figure that out for ourselves. It, it's all there. Yeah. So... Before we go further, yes, you know, we're talking about Sam Harris and Matt Dillahunty's response uh, that they had that a 15-minute YouTube clip has been released, but uh, Sam told me that that's not the full clip, so it is somewhat misleading. Those are his words. He sent me an email to read out, actually, which I will in a minute. I wanted to get in touch with him and ask him if there was anything I could say on his behalf. Because I know that there are a lot of people that try to misrepresent Sam, and that doesn't help when you're trying to make a legitimate critique resonate or be understood, that you're not acting in in bad faith, you're not trying to lie or smear, Uh, you just do not agree with how they, you know... Well, I just do not agree with their response. And so I wanted to make sure that I got whatever context I could from him in order to best represent him. So this is the email he sent me. Hi, Ina. Many thanks for getting in touch. Yes, I'm traveling between events, but here are a few quick points to take on board. Number one, the YouTube video you've seen contains only part of what we said about Lawrence Krauss and Me Too in Phoenix. Consequently, it is a little misleading. Number two, the story broke just the day before our event, and I had an event in Portland that night, so I had very little time to decide how or whether to respond to the BuzzFeed allegations. Number three, on the morning of our Phoenix event, I decided that Lawrence Krauss shouldn't share the stage with us and managed to convince all involved that this was the best course of action. Number four, generally speaking, I believe accusers in cases like this and am broadly supportive of the Me Too movement. I worry, however, that like much that is happening on the left, part of the movement is succumbing to a moral panic 
and failing to distinguish rape from assault, assault from creepy behavior, and creepy behavior from awkward flirting and more harmless attempts at making social contact. Harvey Weinstein belongs in prison, Louis C.K., while a creep doesn't, and some of the other men whose names are often added to a list when with these guys seem guilty of far less. If we don't make these distinctions carefully, we risk doing an injustice to specific men, but also to the real victims of sex crimes and genuine harassment. Number five, it certainly didn't help that this was a BuzzFeed article. There were many indications of bad faith in the text. The article was in fact a larger attack on prominent atheists. For instance, they go after me in a link for my bigotry, which as you know, is ridiculous. And they solicited opinions from multiple people whom I know to be unreliable. Phil Torres, for instance, has made it his full-time job to defame prominent atheists. Number six. In addition, the article combined serious accusations with fairly petty ones and made no effort to distinguish them. That betrays a malicious agenda, brackets, or moral stupidity. Number seven. That said, there was enough in there to worry me, and that's why I didn't want to share the stage with Lawrence Krauss in Phoenix. I knew Krauss would have wanted to deny everything, and I didn't want to sit there seeming to accept his denials. The reality of the situation was, at that point, there was no way for me to know what was true. (laughs) Sure. Number eight, the truth is that I have never witnessed Lawrence Krauss treat women badly, brackets, in any way. But since the BuzzFeed article was published, I've heard further reports of his misbehavior from seemingly credible sources. I've now heard enough to believe that the man has a serious problem. Where he lands on the spectrum of creepiness, I still don't know, but I hope he comes clean and finds some way to redeem himself. Needless to say, I have no plans to collaborate with him in the future. I more or less say this all in a forthcoming AMA, but because of travel and server upgrade on my site, it probably won't be released until Thursday. Feel free to read this email on your podcast, Best Sam. And then I asked him just for one clarification about point number one, where he said that That wasn't the full YouTube video, so it was a bit misleading. And I asked him what was one of the main points missing from it. So he said, Many people seem to have drawn the conclusion that I was defending Krauss or doubting all the allegations simply because they appeared in BuzzFeed. My only defense of Krauss was to suggest that he shouldn't be obliged to respond that night just because we had an event scheduled. That was in the 15-minute video. All everything he said, sorry, but that like this whole thing is, well, it wasn't the full video. And here's a bunch of points that are exactly what were in the video. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these I, I recall being in the video, but I thought it only fair to give him a chance to say, you know, what he thinks needs to be added for context, because I want to be fair in my criticism. As people like Dan Errol or CJ Whirlman or Glenn Greenwald have not made it easy to criticize Sam because it can easily be dismissed as just Greenwalding him or, you know, just trying to lie about his position. So so I want to go out of my way to make sure that I'm not doing that. Oh, yeah, that's a good attempt. Yeah, I, I, well, it's a good thing to try to do for sure. Because, you know, when they say that he's like a white supremacist, genocidal maniac, that's not helping anyone because it's not 
it's not true. And then the real criticisms are not taken seriously, right? If you, if, if you jump straight to like so-and-so is a genocidal maniac, then who's going to take you seriously if you even do say something accurate that, oh, maybe he shouldn't, I don't know, support Dave Rubin, who has on people like Mike Cernovich and Steven Crowder and all sorts of troubling people on his show. But yeah, so back to Sam's email. I think that the whole thing is very similar to what we already saw, definitely. The day the story, he says the day the story broke the day just before their event and he had another event that night. So he had little time to decide. Like, I understand that all of a sudden, if your friend is accused of something serious like that, it's not going to be easy at all. So I do get that. But at the same time, if you have an event scheduled the very next day with someone who, who has been accused of sexual harassment, then you're, you're kind of obliged to make that decision. You just, you have to, anyone in that position would have to. While it can't be easy, you kind of have to look at the evidence that you have and decide. And I'm glad that he came to the decision of convincing people to not share the stage with Krauss. But I think that the talk of the article conflating and not making any effort to distinguish between the acts and the spectrum of creepiness. I don't think that's accurate. And well, what I, one of the things I don't understand is how is, um, you know, undermining the credibility of the article because it was in Buzzfeed and because it didn't supposedly distinguish, you know, the degrees of severity of what Krauss was being accused of. And because it said some, mean things about some other atheists. How is that not defending Krauss when you spend 15 minutes basically talking about all of the reasons you're deeply suspicious of the accusations, then I don't see in what universe that is not fairly characterized as a defense of the accused. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one who sees it that way? No, I agree. No. I hardly agree. Yeah, yeah, and also, you know, when he says that generally speaking, he believes accusers and is broadly supportive of the Me Too movement, but I have not seen, like, I don't know, most of the takes that I've seen him post have been, like, critical of the Me Too movement, unless I've missed a bunch. Like, has anyone else seen... No, yeah, it's an easy thing to just say. I mean, it it it's it, there's a lot of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Um and I'm glad now he's finally heard from the credible sources, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you call all of the different people described and quoted, named and unnamed, all kinds of different accounts. I don't know what you call that, but he's heard from now the credible sources. Uh I find that pretty insulting. And yeah, he noticed too, that he doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any sort of urgency on this. Like, well, you know, that wasn't the full video. I did an AMA, but maybe as soon as, you know, I build a new website, that'll get really, like, you didn't see fit to maybe make a point of making a better statement on this. Like, that's, that, that just goes to show where the priorities were. The priority was, I'm not going to say anything about specifically 
these allegations, but I will say a bunch of stuff that implies that these allegations are bullshit. I will say stuff like, well, uh, there were spurious accounts in here and there was a BuzzFeed, a, a pseudo journalism. Who do you expect to put out a news story on Lawrence Krauss? Do you expect that the New York Times is going to do an expose on a on a minor public figure? I mean, thank God that we had BuzzFeed to do this because honestly, one of the reasons this can keep surviving, this behavior can can keep going on is if any one person tries to speak their truth and talk about it, they can get threatened with a lawsuit and kind of silenced by force. Mm. And the only way that we can really uh, have accountability and not all be worried to death that we're going to get sued is if somebody like BuzzFeed, some, some journalistic entity, decides to take on that burden for us. You know, that's the only, then we can all quote it and say, wow, I believe this. And then we're not really open to, to legal action. But if we come out individually and, and make claims and based on uh, anonymous sources, yeah, we, we open ourselves up to being bullied into sil silence by a lawsuit. So it's, it's great that, you know, I'm really thankful that, that some BuzzFeed journalists took an interest in this. Well, and BuzzFeed yeah. might, you know, post some really silly listicle type stuff, but also from what I've read, it has uh, Pulitzer winning journalists and it's, you know, investigative department. And they did that story about Milo and white nationalism, which I thought was really good. I mean, TMZ broke one of the most important stories in the presidential election year. You know, so we're, you know, it's, we're not living in a media environment anymore where there are very few things that, that can really be dismissed out of hand as completely irrelevant or not credible. Um, and I also think it's just extremely hypocritical of Sam, who has many times defended Ayan Hirsi Ali and Majid Nawaz for talking on Fox News yeah. because the whole, whole rest of the media establishment is so regressive that they that they won't they won't allow a, a progressive or a reformist Muslim to speak. They're they're too afraid of being accused of Islamophobia. So we shouldn't hold it against Ayan and Majid that they're talking on Fox News because Fox News is the only place that will hear them and give them a platform. And yet, when BuzzFeed is the only outlet that will believe women who come forward with stories of being sexually harassed and borderline, in some cases, assaulted, then he's all disdain and skepticism and BuzzFeed is just a rag and I don't think we can really believe it because it's pseudo-journalism. He wasn't, he, he, there was no commentary about Fox being pseudo-journalism when his BFFs were giving yeah. commentary on Fox yeah, News. Yeah, signs, all that crap. So, you know, so that that's, that's it. it a huge glaring double standard. Yeah, and I mean we see ex-Muslims posting things that they agree with from Breitbart. We see Peterson, people, you know, that Sam has respected posting things from InfoWars. No one's calling out ex-Muslims for posting Breitbart articles or going on rebel media. You know what I mean? And these are opinion pieces. Usually, accusations are different. I think. So. Well, yeah, that's just it. That's what I was trying to say. Is that like I don't care if this is all on a Facebook wall. It doesn't matter if if all the people are quoted. 
Their names are there. Uh, some of them are anonymous, but a, a lot of them weren't. A lot of university officials are quoted. If they're quoted, either make your allegation that BuzzFeed is fabricating quotes. Make that allegation. Investigate it yourself. If you really think they're fabricating all these quotes from different people or realize that it doesn't matter. The medium that their quotes are on really doesn't matter. It's one thing if you want to say, okay, their little part about Sam being a bigot. Okay, fine. Then don't, Sam, don't listen to that part. That's their opinion. Yeah, they linked to a Greenwald article, which was Yeah, feel free to just delete that. That doesn't make Melody Hensley, that doesn't make Michael Marshall, that doesn't make all these quoted people, these other universities, that doesn't make that somehow untrue because they also linked to an opinion you don't like. I wanted to clarify, apparently BuzzFeed Entertainment and BuzzFeed News are two somewhat separate entities. So Mm. they can be conflated and then it's like, and I've done it, you know, but apparently they are separate and BuzzFeed News has been really working on more journalistic integrity and has really worked and it's gotten some real respect. You know, if you look up, you know, those sort of places that rate different media and and look at factual reportings, they have a good reputation. And didn't they interview Obama too, BuzzFeed News? Made it all up, I guess, since they're a bad source. I'm sure they just... (laughs) (laughs) It was just some guy. Yeah. I also want to know, I would love to ask Sam, which of the uh, charges described in BuzzFeed are the harmless ones? That's what I... I'm. Does anybody have a guess? I'm actually... Because I didn't see any stuff that was like totally fine. I saw a lot, I, a lot of I stuff like, okay. I've had go. some people tell me that the um, telling the undergrad that he liked her short skirt, all he did was compliment somebody on her outfit. Oh, right. good Lord. No, he's 60 years old and she's 19 and he's telling her he likes her short skirt. And then the other one was the him asking the undergrad out to dinner. So I've had people specifically point those out to me as these are completely harmless. Well, like, have you ever had a job? Because there's not an HR department worth its salt that if that was customer service rep and he was a vice president and said, I like your short skirt, do you want to go to dinner? There's not an HR department in the world that wouldn't take that seriously as a sexual harassment complaint. Right. And they did. And the school did that one. The dinner one was, I believe it was the one where she was trying to interview. Yes. Uh-huh. And he just didn't even like answer her questions and just asked her to dinner. And the president or uh, somebody, the dean at the school heard the story and said, yeah, you should lodge a complaint. <laughs> so like yeah. Yeah, not harmless behavior. I've also seen people dismiss the um, I'm going to buy your birth control so that you don't inconvenience me with pregnancy. Oh, yeah, that was uh, saying that that's not sexual harassment, because I think a lot of people misunderstand and think that sexual harassment is something that means like I'm hitting on you and I want to get in your pants as opposed to understanding that, it, no, it's anything that makes you feel uh, threatened or a hostile work environment based on your sex or your gender. So again, there's not, there's not an HR department in the world that would not take that seriously as a sexual harassment complaint. And understand that it's all a part of a big hole. Like, all right, so he talks about Harvey Weinstein is in, belongs in prison and Louis C.K. doesn't. Well, first of all, I haven't heard a single person that said, let's put Louis C.K. in prison. Like, I, is that right. a thing? Like, I have no. <laughs> no. There's been some Twitter egg that said it, but yeah, I've never heard it. 
Yeah, well, if we go by that, like, let me tell you. (laughs) Um, But it it is a part of a culture. I mean, there is a reason that Matt Lauer was spent so much time walking around saying, let's play fuck, marry, kill with our female coworkers. Let's play that game together. You know, I mean, it's about... Isn't he the one that had the door, the button under his desk? Yes, yes, and he could lock people in. Like, but it's it's about normalizing certain behavior. It's about letting people know what the expectations are around here. It's about this whole culture, and that's why people are talking about a whole culture and saying, "Look, you know, it is if you're in a position where somebody who's in power over you." is um, being inappropriate, making you feel shitty, making you feel like you've got to put something out in order to to get somewhere, it's intimidating, right? And then if you happen to be in a position where you can see these people getting away with shit, you know, women take the message. That's a message that's being sent and women are hearing it. And you know, people of all genders too. I'm not saying it's only ever women, but there is sort of a major direction that this falls in. So yeah, on the one hand, yes, of course we make these distinctions where no one here is just completely a numpty, you know, and we But then they say, why did Matt Damon get so much shit for what he said? Anyone want to take that question? I'll take it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Damon got so much shit because we don't need Matt Damon to mansplain to us that there is a difference between Aziz Ansari and Harvey Weinstein. We all know there's a difference between sexual harassment and forcible rape. We all know there's a difference between he put my hand on his junk ten times And I pulled away 10 times and he told me I'd never work in this town again if I didn't have sex with him. Everybody knows that there is a difference. There's not a single woman who is saying that these are the same thing or that they should be treated the same way or that they should be punished the same way or that the men should face the same consequences. Right. Aside from the Twitter randos that people will find and point out. Right. Nobody nobody is making that case. That's why. When people say, oh, well, you know, you're saying there's a spectrum of behavior. Why can't you talk about the whole spectrum of behavior? But then when Matt Damon pointed out that there's a whole spectrum of behavior, he got a ration of shit for it. And that's a double standard. Well, no, it isn't. Matt Damon's getting a ration of shit for it because he's insulting our intelligence and accusing us of not understanding something that we do understand. The reason we have to keep saying, no, 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 folks, there's a spectrum of behavior is because of the tendency and the and the push by people like Sam to normalize or to diminish stories that aren't on the Harvey Weinstein end of the spectrum. We want to be able to talk about the whole spectrum of abuse and harassment. That doesn't mean that we're saying it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Well, also there's this uh, assumption that there's no like understanding for people like say that are like Aziz Ansari, right? Who have not done the uh, Harvey Weinstein level of serial rape. 
what Aziz did was absolutely disgusting. But at the same time, I recognize that it's, it's nowhere near Harvey Weinstein. But at the same time, I know that the bar should not be set at, you know, just rape. We have to talk mm. about stuff that's below rape. And also, I'm not hoping that Aziz Ansari's life is destroyed. I'm really not. I'm hoping that he will think about you know, what came out. And there was a guy from the community, the show, the community, Dan mm -hmm. something. I think he was the producer. Yeah. He <laughs> recorded. So many nerds are going to be laughing that you don't know the creator of Rick and Morty, Dan Herman. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Just, just be, be ready. That's all. Be ready for the, the fandom uh, tweets. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know who he is, but anyways, he recorded an apology to one of his writers, I think. he, And it was the best thing I have ever heard, you know? I don't think that everyone who's ever said something inappropriate is completely irredeemable. I think that there are ways to go about it. And this Dan guy demonstrated one of the best apologies I've ever, I've ever heard. He... He acknowledged that he made her feel uncomfortable, that he made her question her worth as an employee, whether she was getting this work for, you know, how good she is or whether, you know, it was just because he liked her. He said so many little nuanced things. And then he also urged his fans and followers to not attack her and not make it worse for her. And how he spoke up about this against legal advice, I thought it was really big of him. So it's not that people on the left don't have any, um, that they just want to like destroy people that they feel have wronged someone. It's not like that at all. Like I hope that Aziz can learn from this and do something maybe like Dan, what's his name? Dan Harmon. Harmon. Dan Harmon. And... Um, Maybe talk about all the horrible takes that came out defending him, calling it revenge porn. Well, a lot of it, especially the Aziz thing, I think, you know, a lot of this conversation is a real learning opportunity for a lot of men. Because I think a lot of men who are guilty of sexual harassment in the workplace have no idea yeah. that what they're doing is having a negative impact. I really do think a lot of these men are very well intentioned. They just don't understand boundaries and they 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 don't understand they don't understand the gauntlet that women have to run all day every day and you know yeah. is this going to affect my performance? Is this going to affect my review? Is this going to yeah. is he going to retaliate if I say no? You know, women uh, you know all these things are going through our heads when they're just making an offhanded joke or they think that they're you know they're they're trying to be kind by saying, wow, that's a nice outfit today. You know, they think they're saying something nice. So I think a lot of it is just getting men to say, wow, I, I didn't realize that when I said these things, you know, I, I didn't realize women's experiences were like that. So I'll find some other way to show kindness. I don't want my coworkers to feel bad. So I'll try to make her feel good about herself or her work in some other way. And I think that's great. And I think there are a lot of men who are open to that conversation. Um, it's it's the men who think that not being able to flirt with their female co-workers is the end of Western civilization. Those are the guys that I worry about. Yeah, but it's also... Like, 
It's not that you don't know that your flirting is not wanted. Surely you can tell when someone is flirting back with you and when someone is not reciprocating. This can't be a hard, like, I don't know. What is it like to be, like, what is it like for guys? You short, like, you've got to be able to tell that someone is not returning, that, that someone is not feeling the same way as you are. Josh, I'd love to agree with you, but there's so many guys who just don't either don't care or can't tell. It's amazing. I, you see it I every think, day. Yeah, there are I actual, um, there are studies that show that men, ha- well, they sort of tested men and women and they found women are usually can tell men have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like they just, they just like, Oh, she's so into me. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and for some women, you know, for that subset of women who cope with it by trying to flirt back, but not too much, you know, like they try to sort of play along. Mm-hmm. I don't nice. think men can tell the difference between this seems forced and, oh, my God, she's so into me. Mm, yeah, yeah, especially if you're I, powerful. Like if you have power over yeah. her, then she might just like laugh along at your jokes or something, you know, she might feel obliged yep. to. But A lot of it's in the service industry. So yeah. waitresses want to still yeah. get tips and yeah. not get over like they're they're essentially in a hostage situation. Yeah, yeah. So true. But it's it's really shown, it's really revealed the pervasive entitlement that some men feel to women's time and attention and bodies. You know, like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm not going to be able to flirt with women at work anymore. You're not going to die if you have to get on Tinder instead of, you know, <laughs> trying to pick up tail at the office. I mean, or, or you have to go to a bar, you have to actually physically go to a different location besides (laughs) the office. It's not going to kill you. And, you know, some people, it, it, I mean, it really, some people seem to think that this is just a a crisis of civilizational importance. And I, I just think it reveals a really pervasive sense of entitlement to, (laughs) to women and, you know, I, I think women finally saying, no, you're not entitled. And if you didn't have power over me, I, I wouldn't give you the time of day if I didn't have to. I think that that is just a, an incredibly rude awakening for some men. And they are going to go kicking and screaming. Mm. Can That's I say, good. I'm sorry, just one other thing I just wanted to, before I f- forget, I don't want to derail the conversation, but um, something that Tom said resonated with me when he pointed out how how low the priority seems to be for Sam to put out a better statement about Lawrence Krauss you know or than what he did um, in Phoenix and well he says he's going to put one out in his AMA eventually right but. in his AMA which only people who give him money can ask questions he doesn't just ask any. He doesn't just answer any questions. I'll, I'll 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 say more in an audience in which I know everybody, you know, is already kissing my ass. So I, this is huge cop out anyway. Even if he puts it out for everybody to hear, the fact that he he is only takes questions from uh, people who actually like him enough to give him money. I thought that was pretty spineless. Um, but uh, I assume that this Matt, would not be a question, though. I, I assume that this would just be a statement before he gets into the questions. But yeah, I suppose. 
but, um, still, but you know, certainly like there's a- no there's not he's not going to be answering any hard questions i would imagine but i i want to point out that matt dillahunty is in the exact same boat and yeah. his behavior in the wake of phoenix has been atrocious and he also has he said less on that stage than Sam did. He let Sam do most of the talking and the things that he did say were pretty bad and his behavior and his silence in the aftermath of that have also been pretty unsettling. So I just wanted to uh, point that out because it, it really resonated with me when Thomas said this is pretty low on Sam's priority list. And when, you know, 10 days after it, it came out, uh, Matt Dillahunty is saying, oh, poor me. I've been so beat up. I'm going to take mm-hmm. a few days off from social media because I just, you know, everybody's so mean. And he still hasn't said anything because he says he still needs more time. I think I think that pretty much tells us what we need to know about what his response is. And also, CFI just put out a, sta- a statement yesterday, I believe. I think it was yesterday. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, what is that, 11 days after? Something like that. 10 or 11 days after the story broke. And it was pretty equivocal. Yeah, it was still pending, you know. Yeah. Pending more information, not severing based on bad behavior. Yeah, and also... So it was pretty wishy-washy. Also, I don't think Richard Dawkins has said anything directly, and he has some upcoming events with Krauss, if I'm not mistaken. Well, can I just point out the the lack of empathy for women among all these these people? Like they're very empathetic to the idea of oh, a man could lose his his well-being after this. Has anybody said, goodness, think of all the women who lose, you know, their uh their jobs because they have to quit or they're not going to go in on this to work with a person? Um, or think about all their stress, all their, you know, all that they've gone through. Have anybody come out and said, you know, I feel really badly about all the atheist women that people that were coming forward and ha- we didn't listen to them or, you know, even just to say, you know, I'd like to do better or I feel badly for these people, even yeah. one of them, like nobody. That's- yeah, it's so fr- it's it's what I want to believe people's hearts are in the right place, but especially with Sam and Matt, I just think the the blind spot is just a massive blind spot. When you go on stage and you say, "Let's talk about the larger issue." And the larger issue is not, "Holy shit, how many people in this article, how many women said, "Yeah, I just quit." Like I was tired, no one listened to me. I got uh, harassed, you know, this happened to me and no one listened. I quit." You know, like how about that's the larger issue. The larger issue is how how many women that we haven't heard from that 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 have gone through this same thing like that to go up there that's what made me so mad about this whole thing to go up there and be like here's the larger issue people don't women are too dumb to know the difference between harassment and rape like come on you can't say wow here's the larger issue potentially someone we were going to share the stage with has harassed and has potentially uh touched people unwelcomely to the extent that they felt like they had to leave the movement. That is that is the larger issue. Not, not uh, oh, let's skip all that and talk about gradations of assault. And how many women and how many trans and LGBT and 
people of color have I heard from over years saying, ah, no, never mind. Yeah. You know, I have to say that the anti-immigrant sentiment in the movement, the anti-Muslim bigotry, the anti-feminism is, is very, very off-putting and very depressing and makes me feel like there's no space for me. Mm. Yeah, me too. Like I, I just wouldn't, and, and the refusal to listen or to take any complaints seriously, you know, even among the supposedly reasonable ones who will say, "Well, yeah, I mean, this isn't good or anything," but uh, all these, all these outrage brigaders are coming with all this. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it or contributing via Patreon, patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. Music